0: are you looking for inspiration and words of wisdom so you can go out and launch your own business this is the lost and founded podcast bringing you raw and relatable stories of successful entrepreneurs committed startups and personal experiences that are here to inspire inform and influence
1: my name is george
0: my name is Amanda.
1: And in today's episode, we'll be touching on running a sustainable business, brand identity, and magnificent facial hair. Joining us from London, our guest this afternoon co founded the renowned, unique, like, grain to glass distillery, the Oxford Sand Distillery. As a board director, it's fair to say that our guest is an advocate for running a successful businesses as he has helped to launch the first luxury communications brand, Virtue, sitting on the global board for around six years. Geography graduate at the University to Cambridge, our wonderful guest really is a global influence and has even gone on to become a children's book author. With the extensive skills, confidence and resilience our guests have shown, I'd like to warmly welcome Tagore Ramatar. Welcome to Gore. how are you? Good afternoon, I'm well. Good to hear. So, tell us just a little bit about what your current role is at the Oxford Artisan and and what a typical work day is like for you now.
2: So up until December 2020, uh, I was the managing director and co-founder. I've actually transitioned a little bit since, so just staying on the board and acting as a, as a bit of an ambassador for uh, things where they want to founder. Until then, well, 2020 was a little bit of a different year, so we spent most of it working away from the distillery to ensure that the distillers could actually continue producing alcohol, sanitiser, which we moved into, and laying down whisky without any threat of having to close because of infection. For the most most part from mid uh, March all of the non distillers were actually off site most of the time come in maybe once a month for the rest of the team uh, so an awful lot of my average day was sitting on Zoom meetings talking about our plans the relaunching our brand as Ganic which we did last year cost saving which unfortunately was a massive part of everything because in March almost all of our trade stopped so we had about 250 active accounts and as pubs and restaurants all closed there was very little trade left we had to change and pivot towards online business. We Most of our business was also connected with running tours and that had to close. We could only reopen for a very short time in very different circumstances over the summer. L- last year was essentially about replanning, refocusing, managing costs, trying to work out uh, how we can engage with our customers and actually working with the executive chair to fundraise as well.
0: It's interesting that you say that. So would you almost say that your work or your role has sort of shifted during the pandemic? Do you find yourself doing things that you wouldn't normally do in in your typical role.
2: Yes. I mean, I'm looking at that now with quite a few distilleries, actually, and and breweries. Essentially, last year for all businesses that managed to survive was a radically different year. Focus was very different. So previously, focus was very much on opening new sales channels and launching new products. Uh, And during this time, it was very much more about actually minimising cash burn while actually trying to increase direct engagement with consumers, which is something we had done through
1: tours, but not Online before. With starting the distillery, was that something that you had always historically had in mind as something you were planning on doing? Or was it when you met your co founders that sparked your interest in that particular industry?
2: I've been going on a journey for about 35 years. And when I look back at it all, and I'm, I'm actually Doing that currently, I found that almost everything I ever done was a brand new thing, a brand new job, brand new organization, a new venture. But often it had been corporate. Uh, Up until the end of 2009, I'd been doing things for big companies and it's what I was interested in. And then I took myself off to actually recharge because I'd been going to Japan for half the year the last three years. And I started writing children's books, doing some consultancy, starting up small scale things and actually working with some other startups. And I became incredibly clear that my whole career has been about startups, new ventures and the the joy and interest of learning. I like consumer goods. If you go back and look at my LinkedIn page, it's always, there's always a consumer focus. You could argue that I'd never found something that really tied into something that I previously had, had consumed. And I had been going to events called Pitching for Management, they're all about startups. And it was entrepreneurs pitching their idea and looking for help. And a gentleman called Tom Nicholson in April 2014 to the London Pitching for Management with a lovely video of him sitting on a boat with a dog walking <laughs> distillery. And actually knowing utterly nothing about distilling at all, or even necessarily not much about setting up a business. I love spirits. I drink neat whiskey, vodka, vodka. I'm, I'm doing some training currently, and he's going, water down. The, I just like spirits. It's something that's been interesting. I've managed to spend my life going around the world, with people trying to give me their local fire water to try and see if they catch me out, and it's never worked. When I started talking to him, I wandered up to him at the end and started talking about something else. It turned out that we had an awful lot in common of what we like, and we were complementary. So I know how to strategize, plan, and start up something fresh and Tom had a vision of something to do, but didn't know how to do that. It turned out he'd also met somebody else who was sort of notionally on board, Corey, who knew how to do a distillery, but again, didn't know how to start up the business side. Tom and I would meet every Thursday in Starbucks in Reading, because it was halfway between Oxford and Twickenham, where I live. We would be planning, so we were writing a plan of how to launch a distillery, and even up until September, I was not sure in my own mind I was writing it for him or writing it for us, but uh, it transcribed we were writing it for us. And through my network, we managed to find investors. And And so um, my dream wasn't to start up a distillery. I, my dream was to work in a startup or something that I believed in, I had a product I believed in that uh, was something that when I talked about it, I could be passionate about rather than passionately interested in, if you see what I mean. So it's something that I had had a dream about. And the Granger Glass Distillery, I found something that tied into my passion and tied into something I was really interested in. It tied into the idea of breaking something from
1: scratch on a product i liked a place that was easy to get to that i could have some resonance in right. i guess that does kind of show the benefits of three three of you guys with the different parts that all fit together to make absolutely big, big. our initial strength
2: as a, as a as a team was one had technical knowledge one had the the get up and go in front to go out and talk to people and one person myself knew actually how to run and start things and that was i used to say when i did founders talk i should say combined we were made one decent founder
1: that, that is true enough but also on a, on a more basic level you did mention it earlier but has gin always been your drink of choice oh no, my drink of choice is whiskey as a distillery
2: we're always thinking about the grain so we use a heritage grain that we grow and we use that to make different spirits so we make a double gold ordering vodka which is something unbelievable to try we of course make our signature the Oxidazan distillery gin but we also have been laying down whiskey since uh, it's November at the end of November 2017 so sometime this year we will be launching our first whiskey. but we've always since the start been laying down a new make called Oxid Pure Rye and that is a pure spirit which is essentially whiskey before it's aged that is like an aperitif Whiskey, and so my passion is more whiskey, but it lines up because we started off as a rye distillery making whiskey and gin.
0: Interesting tonight, and I'm really shocked that your your drink of choice is whiskey, and not gin. But I'm happy that you started to make whiskey now. And so you mentioned a bit earlier on that yourself, Tom, and Corey. I mean, all together would have made the perfect entrepreneur. But you all possess such innovative skills to run a successful business. What do you think has been the key in maintaining that successful relationship with your co-founders?
2: It's been a tough journey, to be honest, in terms of relationships, screeners. I think we've tested the boundaries of actually doing it, and I think the key is, and sometimes we have forgotten it is, and it's a key for anyone, is I think you should always remember the strengths. People quite often focus on people's weaknesses, but you never work with anyone because of their weaknesses. You only ever work with someone because of their strengths. And I think if there's more than one founder, focusing on the strengths of that founder will give you a much easier passage for the future and more beneficial than if you go into a negative of facing people's weaknesses. And as you know people longer, it is actually easier and easier to focus on weaknesses. But I fundamentally believe that the path to um, happiness and not madness is try and focus on people's uh, strengths because that's why you employed them or you work with them from the start. I'd say for other founders, if you're in a partner remember people's strengths and don't focus on the weaknesses. You can
1: compensate for them. Very wise words. And uh, a bit curious, did they never try and uh, persuade you to reach their other striking levels of facial hair? Uh,
2: (laughs) It is certainly, um, it was certainly at some point a signature one. I, I once looked around the room and I saw, I think it was four handlebar moustaches. I don't think I've ever been anywhere where there's been handlebar moustaches or I didn't even know there was a such thing as, you know, moustache wax that makes it curl up. So I've learned... So much doing this distillery, some things I wish I could have forgotten but I I don't think I would have suited uh, a moustache or a beard. And it's certainly um, not something that I'd ever wanted. But yes, it was suggested at least once. I love it. Um,
0: And I know that you've had a lot of experience in working in consumer business now, and also at various levels. But I want to take you just back to the very start of the journey. When you look back at yourself, what do you think is the most important skill that you've developed? And could you recommend it in the time that you started your business?
2: It's a combination. I'm very adaptable. I've worked across industries. But what I do is I take a learning from one to the next and it becomes a cumulative learning. A lot of stock is put in for uh, people being an industry and I frankly don't particularly believe or care for it. What I am is I'm a generalist. I know about all elements of a business and I've gone out of my way to do things that I've enjoyed. So I would say the one thing I've I've learned is do something you enjoy because you've got a better chance of being better at it. Don't feel that you have to stay in a narrow position. You can learn by going widely. I think knowing a bit about something gives you a great ability to know where you need to go and get help or you don't need to go and get help. And so my biggest learning from the start to now is my experience has been cumulative. I've managed to build and take it from sector to sector and understand things from that.
1: So it's all on the same theme as your overall journey throughout your career. I'd be in, because on this podcast, we one of the things we are interested in is painting a realistic picture of what it's like to start your own business, and so we want to show the uh, sort of hurdles that come with that. And so, I'm interested in knowing what's been the biggest obstacle that you've had to learn to overcome during the personal growth of your career.
2: I think when you're starting new things, there's a there's a lot of incredible large highs and really big lows, and those lows can be um, destabilizing. And I think the key is is to remember that it's a bit like a set of waves. There's a trough and a peak, and the next one's going to come along. And it's just a, it is a journey. Things are always going to take longer. And I sometimes say it, I'm a pessimistic optimist in that I believe we're going to get there, but it's going to be really really hard on the way. So far, I would say in most startups I've ever been involved in, that's exactly the case. You do get there, but it is incredibly hard at times, and there is a lot of cr- trough uh, and. It's hard to keep sometimes that positivity, but I would say keep the positivity because it will get good. If you work hard at something, you make your own luck and you've just got to believe. That's what I believe. If you you know what I mean, it's that, that journey. That's what I've learned is it is up and down and there are um, there are loads I mean doing the Oxalas and Distillery we've been close to running out of money and had to go out and get funding but then you go out and tell people your story and they can believe as well and each time we've managed to raise money so even in lockdown we raised over 1.6 million for the next bit of our journey and we've consistently every year raised money against that journey now we have to deliver because we've taken over 4 million pounds of, of wonderful supporters money that were coming on that journey and it's key that you do deliver because it's not our money but I think if you've got enthusiasm and get a story across people will come on that journey with you but it can be really tight when you're wondering where if you're going to make it
0: I think that's incredibly resilient um the fact that you did decide to you know reach funders and sort of make sure that your business was being a business because it's something that you genuinely believe in and sort of relating it back to the distillery and you know the beginning of your journey were there any sort of logistical hurdles that you faced when starting the business and how did you sort of deal with this
2: well I mean starting the business is a series of hurdles so I mean, you could argue the biggest one is is that of the three founders, none of us had any cash. Now that's a, a, a slightly large logistical hurdle to get. When even in your original plan, which was quite modest, it was going to cost you six hundred thousand to launch, and actually it cost over one one and a half million to launch. So in many ways, that was the biggest one. And of the three of us, none of us had had any experience in raising uh, what I'd call angel investment. I'd raised internal corporate funds, but not uh, that. So that would be one of the biggest. But we hit other ones. We had Our original site was sold. It was in the center of town. The college sold it to someone else, so we had to go and find a new place. And then we found the, the old depot right next to Oxford Brooks, a great location. But it has huge amounts of planning issues, and we had planning to solve, and that was another huge, huge barrier that knocked us back 12 months, really, uh, later. Each time there's been a barrier, but you incorporate it into your story, it becomes part of the legend of the business. It becomes part of what you say on tours we've got a location that is much better and more in keeping what we want now. Than if we'd been in our original place. In that original lack of funds, and I had lunch with, with a friend of mine I was working with on another project who it turned out had spent 10 years as an ambassador for drinks in America. And he knew some people and he introduced me to those people. We pitched. They introduced us to more people. And we pitched again. We pitched to six people. We got six investments. Those six investors have invested in every single round of our investment. And the original investment was 600,000. Uh, and the last one they put in over a million. Each hurdle... Brings an opportunity to learn and build something. And from that, you can get really powerful supporters. the hurdles come thick and fast. It's like getting hit over the side of your head. You've got to get up and, and decide to end up. you're going to go forward again. But learning from it, there's a series of hurdles. But they're the two biggest at the start. I imagine
1: you're all the better as you became all the better as a business when you learn how to overcome those first big hurdles. So you felt a bit more prepared for anything else.
2: Yeah, I think um 2014 to now journey has left, I'd say, everyone who's involved at the Race Start quite tired and and it was one of the reasons why last year a fresh management group was brought in by the board which was trying to get that thing so I think there's quite a different skill to setting it up and getting through those ones and then taking the next journey sometimes needs a fresh and enthusiastic view on it all because sometimes you get tired and you can still solve but you've got to make sure that when you get to that point of ready to take off that you have a person who can get their head above the parapet and not be still stuck in the history or in fighting small battles because there's
1: much bigger ones to fight again when I was doing my research. And Toad has such a strong and distinct brand just running all the way through it. This sort of Victorian era, Gothic, revival architecture, kind of look and feel to everything. And I know from doing research on yourself that you have quite a lot of experience in the field of branding, brand development. So I thought I could get the opinion from you of how important it is for A new business like you were when you started to have a unique brand identity
2: the most important thing is to have a a unique selling point a unique story something that people can hook into and then to get the brand to more to connect with it you can actually change your look and feel quite substantially as long as it's rooted in a true story so when we started off we acronymed the oxidized and distillery to toad but we had to spend about two years explaining to everybody that it was an acronym uh, and we weren't connected to wind in the willow. So it was distracting from what you'd say was our main purpose, which was using ancient heritage organic grain to create wonderful spirits and doing them in uh, stills that we'd built ourselves. The story was not coming out on a, on a label that had a large dressed toad on it. And so last year, we took the decision to move it to being, calling it organic and, and being certified organic, clearer to people what we we're trying to do. I think having a clear purpose is incredibly important. Then finding a way communicating that consistently so people can believe and understand it is the next most important thing. Then your brand can link to those. If you've got a lot of money, you can have a brand that doesn't seem to link and you can make it link through money. But if it's just being done through word of mouth, people being exposed to your brand, I think you do have to be careful that it does actually connect.
0: I think one of the most important things about your brand and the Oxford Artisan Distillery is also, as you previously mentioned, the sustainable methods that you use to produce your gin and also whiskey as well. Could you kind of take us through what that journey is to get from the gin fields right until the bottle?
2: We were very, very lucky early on. We wanted to go grain to glass or field to glass. We wanted to do it from first principles. Now, it may not sound important, but there are over 400 odd distilleries in the UK. And of those ones doing gin, which is a a large number of them, over 200, there's only 12 or so that are doing from grain to glass. Most companies buy in what's called grain neutral spirit. Everyone who does whiskey does grain to glass. So using your grain and doing something with it. Now, most of those will buy in grain as well, but we wanted to use organic grain. And we were very lucky to be introduced to a guy called John Letts, who is an arco And he had uh, created populations of what's called ancient grain. So grain that had been made, that had been propagated from pre-hybrid grain and been made into populations with maybe thousand different varieties of, be it barley, be it wheat, be it rye. We managed to secure a license to use that for distilling. So we grow that wonderful grain in a series of organic certified farms around Oxford. So from Tetbury down to Near Great Missenden, down to just south of uh, Oxford and just north, and, and we and we grow it there. And basically, that uh, is grown as a contract to us. So we doing it from scratch. It gets planted in the autumn, so uh, October, November. It'll be harvested about July, and that's where it moves into one of our warehouses. But it's always been our grain, and it's grown organically, sustainably, not even with manure on it because you don't need it with ancient grains. So it's the most sustainable way, and the fields are the greenest fields you could possibly. And that's what we use, and so that's that's brought weekly. the distillery where it's uh, milled by a mobile mill and we combine basically 70% rye or sometimes 90 depending on what the mash mash is going to be with 10% malted barley and the barley is malted down in warminster maltings by a floor malter that is doing the oldest floor malter in the country and that is our basic one and our site as you know is at the top of south park so it's brought in there it's made into a mash with hot water now most people will take the wort uh, so they clear out the the grain and just the liquid. We take the whole of the grain and put it into our bespoke stills called, the first one called Nautilus, which is a hand-bid still, two and a half thousand litres, copper made for us by South Devon Railways. And we heat it up and we we basically distill it and we have something that's called low wines. And those low wines are about 30% alcohol, 25 to 30% alcohol. And that's, that's our base. And from there, we can decide whether we make whiskey, gin or vodka. <laughs> I could talk longer, but I figure we don't have that long.
1: That's <laughs> no, true. That see, that does sound like a lot of effort to achieve your kind of sustainable goal that you set out with. Were there are there ever moments ever where you just sit there and think, is all this extra effort or money worth it to keep pursuing this?
2: If you ever do a comparison taste and you taste our product versus another product. So I did uh, a comparison taste of uh, a very mainline gin, another craft gin and our gin just this week uh, with online with somebody I was doing something with. You get to ours and you get this beautiful silky feel in the mouth. It's warm, it's got this incredible lingering set of taste. very powerful juniper coming through, and it is just beautiful. And I go to the mainline one, and it's watery, it can hardly smell any, any gin in it, it's got a sharpness. The, the other craft one's quite good, but it's just not got the same mouthfeel. So if anyone said, is it worth it? I would say absolutely 100% every time, because every time I taste our spirits, it tastes incredible. And it's our unique selling point. If we were uh, to produce something that didn't have heritage grain in, wasn't organic, wasn't the in our stills, then we'd have to spend an awful lot more money to market it to create a story. And I think where we're talking about is we don't have to
1: create a story. When you taste it, you know there is a story and you'll come out and find it. Absolutely, fair enough. I, I do often think it is amazing when you do taste food or drink that has been made in a more sustainable way, how much you can taste that different. I was just going to ask you, I think you did touch on it a bit there, but how important do you think it is that any business in this sector has a sustainable mindset?
2: I mean, the future is of businesses that are zero carbon, care for the land it is about people reconnecting with ways that they feel they can believe in and so i think having a real story that is rooted in something that people can understand so the fact that you know we have 250 to a thousand varieties of grain in one field with no pesticides insecticides no manure on it That is real. And I think having a sustainable backbone to what you do creates a point of of, of difference that people can believe in and understand they can get behind. If your business is professing to be down that journey, having something that's real, it's understandable, and it's more than a solar panel is important. Can you create a successful brand by doing something different? Absolutely.
0: Absolutely, and made a real influence in this field and a recognisable name for yourself as well. So what would your best bit of advice be to somebody who's actually wanting to make, make a name for themselves in this industry, as it is very competitive at the moment, I'm sure?
2: So I think the first thing is believe. So it's really hard to start a business if you don't really believe. So believe. Find a unique selling point that will actually be something that people can believe in as well. So find something that makes your your products different. And I'm talking to a, a brand separately that does uh, forages things, and it's all their business is about foraging and harvesting the wild. And you know you listen and talk to the founders there. It's all about that. And and so I think you know we can hear and talk to Dave or me or any of the founders. We're about grain. We're about heritage organic grain find a reason that makes you different put it front front and centre to everything you do Uh, make it clear that that was come through and then you can make a success I think the space or craft, like uh, the craft brewing industry, which has grown exponentially. Craft drinks have lots of space, but there is an awful lot of brands out there. Uh, it may not need another
1: gin, but there are lots of spirits out there you can do. Very good point that you make of that. We're, literally every time I go on any social media, I see so many different, crazy new alcohol brands who are now doing sustainable alcohol, or organic alcohol, or vegan alcohol, and, it, and there's just so much choice there now is, I guess, important that you find that thing that you can be sure that you continue with. Do you think what you were like, perhaps when you were growing up and you were studying, ready to sort of enter the world of business, do you think the mindset that you had growing up reflects the sort of attitude you have now in regards to how you approach whatever project it is that you're starting?
2: I'm very different than I was when I was at university and when I am now. And the journey has been very different. I think there are certain uh, things I learned quite early on that stuck with me. I think the polishing your strengths and not worrying about people's weaknesses is is one of those things that I have consistently believed in. And when I've moved away from it, I've always moved back to. So I think that's one of those things. It helps you find partnerships and strengths and it helps you be positive. So I think that's one of the things I've continued with on my journey. I, I do believe I'll always get there in the end. And I think that's another thing i think that's you know if you've got the attitude you can succeed in a new business but you know when i left university i joined shell on a graduate trainee scheme and i thought i was going to see the world which i did i saw about 60 countries but i thought i was on a, a corporate one and i didn't realize i was doing uh, new businesses all the time and doing new things it just i did whatever was interesting and so to a large degree i got my background in what i'd call corporate startups and corporate ones so i would say do things that interest you because they will lead somewhere interesting. Don't get too hung up on is this the right move to get me to where I want to be when I'm 50? Shell used to have something that was called CEP, Current Estimated Potential. They tried to grade you at 21 where you would be when you were 50. It is the most ludicrous thing I could ever think of. Who knows where anyone's going to be when they're 50 or a little bit older as I am? What I would say is go out and enjoy yourself. And if somebody says, I've got a great idea to start now, go and find people who can help it. The two sectors that most people don't understand very well are the very old and the very young. Because most businesses new startups and all the rest now are made by people in their middle years and they understand themselves. So, you know, a group of white middle-aged men sitting in a room are not going to understand those opportunities that exist for the over 70s and the under 30s. There are opportunities abound for startups in a non-traditional way. So I would say have courage of your convictions, do what you enjoy and find people to help you. So if you need, if you are Leaving now and really have the entrepreneurial bug, and most of the people who, do, do, who come and see you guys do, find somebody who can help you with the knowledge you don't know. There's always people around there who can, but finding someone with the drive and vision of an idea will make a difference. I was talking to an entrepreneur a couple of weeks ago, and he was a serial entrepreneur. He'd, every time he was starting somewhere different because of a different challenge. He was doing something in food. He'd never been in food. So he'd just gone out and said to his network, does anyone know anything about food? Because I want to learn because I have an idea. I think that attitude in this particular climate could lead you a long way.
1: Wise words for us to leave on. Thank you so much for joining us. Just um, where could our listeners find out about what your next uh, endeavours might be or what Toad is doing next?
2: So for the distillery www.theoxford.sanddistillery.com. For me, either my LinkedIn page is where you'll find things. I post very regularly on things on spirits particularly. So I'm currently doing four question interviews. So with a series of craft spirits, new businesses, or a bit older businesses. And so it's four questions. First one's published today, which is and Birch. There'll be one on Toad on Monday, and I've got about another eight breweries and distilleries etc lined up but they're quite interesting to see what founders and and managers of, of these businesses actually think about the challenges of 2020 and what 2021 will bring
0: Thank you so much for for joining us today Togo honestly I feel inspired to start my own gin distillery uh today <laughs> This has been the Lost and Founded podcast If you liked this episode make sure to head over to Instagram and let us know how you found it at Lost and Founded Pod with new episodes being released every Thursday you'll be ready to continue taking steps to bring your ideas to life. Wherever you listen to your podcast, be sure to follow and be notified about more inspiring stories and experiences. That's all for now. And we'll see you next
1: week. Thank you.